Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy. We're trying something new this week. I guess we're going to try something new every week now that we're all dispersed. Um, but we are doing a live recording of this podcast uh, via Zoom. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be joined by Rich Antonello, the CEO of Complex Networks. Rich, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so when all of this stuff really went down. I was like, I want to do a podcast about leading through crisis. And I immediately emailed you, in fact. Um, <laughs> I was only the 15th person. Well, we, we've we talked it. No, seriously, you were the first. Um, and, and and I say that because like we talked a little bit about this um, actually in Cannes of all places. <laughs> um, but I wanted to go back a, and, and talk a little bit about, because everyone who is part of an organization right now or you know, is leading teams in an organization is faced with um, a really difficult situation. Um, and, and some people haven't been through that before. And I think that's a particular challenge of, of this crisis right now. Um, you have been through this. You're saying I'm old? No, I'm not saying you're old. I've been through, I've been through it too a couple of times. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about like your experience um, with that, and then and then move forward to to today dealing with this this particular crisis. So, it, complex back in the financial crisis was about eight years old. Uh six. Six years old. Oh, we launched in uh, April May of two thousand and two. Right. So you 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 know how to choose it. It's actually a good time to launch a business in a downturn. Um, and then you, you started to get, you know, some traction and, and the business was different then. hundred percent. I mean, uh, in 08, uh, you're referencing 08. Yes. 08. Okay. So when, when by 08, we were, um, you know, we launched as a magazine only really in, in May of 2002. Um, then in September of 07, we actually launched the digital ad network way back in the day. Remember we used to talk about that all the time. I know. And what was amazing is that had actually grown to such a significant point that it put us in a situation when we were running out of capital. At that point, we were still solely owned by Echo Unlimited, the ECKO, the Rhino brand, and they had run into a lot of trouble. So we were in a situation where we were running out of capital. Um, CIT was the line of credit for Echo and us uh, on a transferable basis at that point. And they asked us to make massive, massive cuts, um, about 30, 32, 33% at that time. How, how, I'm sorry, how, how big was Complex? Oh, we were, uh, we, we were about uh, 80 people at the time. Okay. Um, we had basically built out, we had the magazine still, uh, we had the ad network, and then we had our own owned and operated digital play within that. Okay. So, and, and the digital revenue had continued to scale up. Print had really started to level off. It actually, that actually started in 07, uh, which was the precipice for us getting very aggressive from a digital perspective and launching the ad network in September of 07. So, you know, we had one revenue line item going like this, one revenue line going like this, and our, our capital that we needed just to operate our working capital was being uh, compromised at that point. So how much money did you have in the bank? Zero. Oh, that must not have been a good feeling. Uh, <laughs> the, the only thing I say this on a personal basis is I go back and I go, that is, uh, that which does not kill you only makes you stronger. Okay. If you can get through that, you can get through anything. Um, we were living, we were a business that was living hand to mouth. 
Um, you know, and you know, when, when they told us that we were going to have a lot less capital to play with uh, and needed to make massive cuts just to be in that situation, uh, our response, unlike all of the other divisions of Echo at that time, um, just cut about 32, 33% of their staff. Mm-hmm. So when you, say, when you say massive cuts, you're talking about people because it's, it's a media business. You can only cut so much as far as like capital expenditures. Right. Well, I mean, look, this is, we know that media is a very capital intensive business because of the fixed costs and a greater preponderance of those fixed costs are people. That's what we do. We create content, then we try and monetize it. We are, and we're a very premium player in both of those. So there's a lot of, there's not a lot of automation. There's a lot of hands and just people involved. So for us, um, you know, and, and going back, and I'm sorry, we keep going back and forth, but in mm-hmm. 08, um, our lending resource was going to be, it wasn't a uh, discussion with your owners of like, oh, well, you can start here and we'll start here and we'll end up in the middle. It was like, no, 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 we need 33% of this capital back. So here's what we're willing to give you on a continued basis. Um, it, was, it was handed to us, not um, negotiate, no, negotiable. So... And like I said, a lot of the divisions of Echo at that time were just cutting staff, like a third of the staff. Our choice was, especially because we are people intensive, and honestly, I believe that the people that build your business also deserve to participate in it as long as absolutely possible. Um, So we went back and figured out a sliding scale of salaries from anywhere from 50% down to about 30%. Uh, of the senior executives, the more senior executives at that time, that would be the equivalent of uh, cutting 33% of our staff. And we took massive pay cuts, kept everybody on staff, and were able to come out of that crisis, um, not just more strength, strengthened as a business, but solidified as a team. And I think that that willingness to work together and be in the foxhole together um, really also propelled us in a big way as we went forward. I, I can't say enough about my team. Um, there was not one executive that even balked when I went to everybody to sell them on that idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, you did scenario planning, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about the scenario planning today because it's really it's difficult to plan scenarios. I think it's more difficult than it was then, or maybe not. No, I think it's infinitely more difficult. Because back then, the only uncertainty was the financial and it was defined what had already happened. Right now, we have two unknowns that are oscillating amongst each other. We have no idea when the virus is going to slow down in the United States. We have no idea when we're going to be able to go back to work. And we have no idea how long the financial impact is going to be. There is no perfect model. You have, so you have three constantly oscillating variables that could all compound each other to the positive or the negative. And we have to plan for the worst and not hope for the best, but every day work towards the best. And I think that's the way we're kind of going about it. So in, in 08, when you were planning for the worst, I mean, it had to involve layoffs, right? I mean, like, so explain the decision-making process where you and your executive team were like, you know what, we can thread the needle here. Like we can, we can, we're going to be conservative enough, but we're going to, we're going to be able to get through this without making these 40% cuts? Uh, I mean, w- w- first of all, 
we're in a situation we're preparing for a board meeting upcoming next week anyway, but the amount of unknowns that are still there, you can't, you can't plan for the absolute worst quite yet. You have to be prepared to consider what could happen. We are evaluating everything right now. The good thing for us is we have actually a one-for-one situation that we pulled from before, the one I just outlined in 2008. Um, luckily, we actually still have a few people left over from that as well, which is nice. Um, but I think even more so, it's important, like, I think the amount of conversations and the, the communication we've had so far has been that we are going to um, aggressively look at cost-cutting scenarios on the variable side first and kind of go outside in. The last thing that we get to would ever be layoff. Sure. And I, and again, that I say that for a lot of reasons. There's the personal aspect of the love and pride I have for the team that we have, but even more so, it's actually an intellectual choice. And let me just, let me be clear here. This is a really important one is <clears throat> if indeed the media business is a capital intensive business because of the people that make it, then if you are going to be a positive person and bet for any sort of recovery or plan for the recovery, then it is up to you to make sure that you think about your team and the preparedness and continuity of that on a consistent basis every single day. Yeah. Any challenge that comes up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, this is going to end and if it, and if when it does end, you, you can't capitalize on it because coming out of these kind of troughs are, there's tremendous opportunity. I mean, there's there's any number of examples of great companies that uh, begin or or start their inflection point um, coming out of of these troughs, right? I mean, look, not to kind of dovetail into a few other conversations, but we're going to benefit from the discipline that we've actually had. Uh, unlike a lot of other people, you know, there's a lot of companies that have not been very disciplined about not only being profitable, but then stacking up their own war chest. So, you know, whether you're an individual or a company, you know, it's always sound to be as fiscally conservative in certain ways as possible. You want to balance constantly the choices, the aggressive, um, you know, swings that you're going to take for your business with the, okay, well, if it doesn't work, how can we pay for it? How do we sustain it? Or if something happens, how do we sustain it? So, you know, the health and the discipline and the rigor that we've operated this business on uh, over the last, you know, I mean, actually 10, 15 years, um, I think is going to come back in spades to us, not just longer term when things do get better, but it allows us, it buys us time. And, you know, your balance sheet equals time right now. And time is the most valuable commodity in the world. Time with continuity, time to be a player, time to continue to try new things and innovate within those. Um, that to me is, I think, just, it's an obvious point, but it's not something a lot of people are thinking of because they're kind of thinking about the hand just in front of their face. Yeah, I mean, we're still in the sort of crisis mode. I know I was talking with another executive um, who was saying that, you know, he's just been consumed by crisis communication in the past uh, two weeks. And um, I think we're going to sort of, you know, if, 
you, you can have people who came into your building who who ended up testing positive for for coronavirus. You can have people in your in your company who have coronavirus. There's a lot of variables um, that go on. Like I think that's an interesting point. Um, whoever that person is, I'm not trying to point them out, but I actually think they're doing it all wrong. They're allowing themselves to be in a hundred percent reactive state. You know, we talked about focus before we started this call, like when we were just joking around in the front. It is our choice as leaders to make sure that we are doing a balance of looking backwards, like reacting and being proactive. Mm -hmm. And if you're sitting there saying right now, you're using the current context as an excuse to be 100% reactive, then I'm sorry, yourself and your business short. Yeah. Well, I mean... This is the this is the biggest test of compartmentalization. I think that there can possibly be because um, it's it's it can be overwhelming and and you you can't be overwhelmed by it. L- looking back at, at you know '08, you know it seems like you got the the you guys got the 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 big things right right. But like looking back as as you as as you navigate this one, what's something you would do differently? Um, that's a, that's a really good question because at that point we had not broken off yet. Um, and the financial crisis actually gave us the opportunity to go raise uh, venture capital and restart the business and buy out some of our owners. When, when something like this happens, uh, and I was under such duress about working capital, you know, I did focus on going, okay, this is a message that I don't want to be beholden to somebody else, right? Like this is where I was looking past the hand in front of my face. It wasn't just solving for working capital, but it was like, okay, what is the right thing so that when, when and if this happens again, we're not in that situation. That's why we wanted to go raise our own balance sheet and be you know, beholden to ourselves um, and then a different investor base. That was great. But one thing I didn't do is I didn't look at the, the differentiation of where we were and I didn't optimize the deal structure. I was so consumed with just getting it done with uh, the deal mm-hmm. with Excel and Austin Ventures to fund us. And we got that deal done in November of 09, um, which not, you know, not many media people were, not many media businesses were actually getting any semblance of investment yeah. at that point. Um, we were able to do that with two AAA investors because we were a close to profitable business that was very differentiated, that had a lot of momentum on the digital side of things. But what because of the con I let the context hundred percent dictate the terms of the deal and we gave too much of the business away from a valuation perspective. Okay. Well that's a hindsight 2020. Yeah, but you want to talk about impactful to everybody and also what it meant for the ability to go raise more capital and not potentially lose control of your business as well. You know, if we're gonna talk big picture, let's talk big picture though, right? Let's talk big picture. No, I I so I mean Look, that's that's a big. I take that as a personal L because it's something that I should have known and should have contemplated. Yeah. Um, there's not much, though. I will say this, and I'm not. It's not a. It's not a, um, a. A modesty thing or a lack of modesty thing, but I think we did a lot right with the staff. And what's interesting is, I think it was a byproduct when you set a tone by not letting anybody go or letting very few people go and sharing the pain as a team. The amount we were all rowing in the same direction. So for the team and for the business, it was very easy during that next 12 to 18 months because there was no, nobody was off on a rogue agenda. We knew what we had to do. Every dollar mattered. Every 
uh, new initiative mattered. Every story mattered. Every word mattered. Every dollar mattered. Like it was, it was probably one of the, even though it was very challenging and there was a lot of pressure, it was one of the most fun times for me because there was no internal um, friction about questioning about what was the right thing to do. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Um, talk to me about the communication aspect of it. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of, you know, business leaders and team leaders, and particularly if they haven't been, been in a situation like this, um, are trying to strike the right balance in how they, you know, galvanize their teams, but are realistic at the same time, because there are so many unknowns and that you can't, you know, people, people's bullshit meters are pretty, pretty finely tuned at all times, but particularly now. Well, are they though? Is it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think, um, you know, there's a big challenge. Previously in 08, you have to remember, um, and I'm going to really date myself and you'll agree with this. Social media at that time was still, you know, nighttime yeah. or on the side. It is not, you don't, you don't have your phone with your Twitter feed open or TikTok or everything else, Instagram, everything else going on at the same time. So the speed at which both information and even potentially more misinformation travels both internally and externally within your company is that's the biggest difference between now and 08 and 09. Yeah. You know, that is, you can either whine about it, but you're not going to change. But do you mean ex, do you mean external or internal? Like we have something, we have something at Digiday I call DNN, which is the Digiday News Network, which is sort of the unofficial channel. But is that what you're referring to? I mean, because it seems like there's two two different channels. I'm saying that both externally and it, it, external starts to inform what the internal spin is, right? And and that's a very easy thing to lose control of. Um, and what I find, which previously, like in 08, 09, like I was saying about everybody being in the same page, we used to do weekly not daily, but weekly stand-ups to just, I mean, granted, it was easy. We were only 78, 80 people, but it was a lot easier to, to communicate that you had time to prepare. You had time to analyze what was going on. I think the big challenge for leaders now um, is my biggest piece of advice would be not to get paralyzed by the uncertainty or lack of communication. Be confident about what you can be confident about um, and be honest about what you're uncertain of, but be in front of everybody. You gotta be there now because they're looking for beacons. They're looking for mm -hmm. leaders and it's okay to say, I don't know that yet, or here's what could happen. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's actually, you know, we made the joke, we were talking about Cuomo the other day, right? Uh, and how he's doing it. Yeah. And I think he's striking an interesting balance. Um, I think he's really showboating a little bit, but that's okay. Hey, we'll take it at this point. Low bar. But, um, but I, I really think my point there is we have gone out of our way here. Um, and I cannot, and it can't just be me. We have dispersed across all of our leaders, the amount of communication, um, that is happening on a probably you know, when you take time time zones into account, almost 24-7 basis. Yeah. Um, and the willingness to be open about sharing information about what we do know and what we don't, and then asking people to be participatory. Um, I, I, I've not seen levels of this before. 
And there's no way we would be performing to the degree we are. Mm -hmm. um, and it's early days so far, but I am so encouraged by where we stand. Um, it is so impressive. And, you know, like you've heard me say this before, you know, 95% of what we do is out of our control. The 5% that's in your control, you better destroy it. A lot of times when shit gets bad, leaders want to hold on to things like they want to white knuckle it. You know, we've kind of made people participate with these issues. We got in front like our we had a big production meeting about seven and a half, eight weeks ago, right when this first started just to trickle. And we were like, what if this happens? And can I tell you something? The leaders on the video production team, each of the, the different um, shows and other everybody stepped up and not, they didn't wait to be told what to do. They were like, here's what we can do. Here's how we can start. Let me, let's even double time or triple time and start banking episodes. I mean, we didn't, it wasn't a directive oriented meeting. It was a challenge to go, here's what's going to happen. And I was so unbelievably pleasantly surprised that people stepped up to this challenge and used it as a reason to win rather than an excuse to fail. Right. Um, you actually, you shared with me the note you sent around to, to your team, um, which I thought was really good. Um, like, what were you trying to accomplish with that? Because I think this goes to the balance you're striking because you did actually strike, you know, interesting balance there. Um, I did like a control F for we and like you used that like 30 times. Um, and that's important. So explain the balance you were trying to strike in that. Let, let me say it this way. Um, the A, that was written a while ago. It's over a week ago now. <laughs> a while ago. But no, I, I, I look, the number one thing, especially back then, there were even more unknowns and people were just discovering a lot of things. And there was a lot of speculation around how bad things could get. And, and you know, I was being uh, kind of in front of it because I kind of felt like the, the news and the speculation was all negative. And I'm not saying that a lot of negative things wouldn't happen or couldn't happen or still might, but I, I wanted people to have their head about them. And I thought the most important thing was um, to remind people to be calm because whether it's personally or professionally, when you're calm, you're going to optimize and maximize the situation. And then the biggest thing, which I thought is important in, and, and I'm not taking shots at any other business, but the, you know, we talked about the history of complex and all of the challenges it's faced. 9-11, uh, you know, like, you know, we were birthed out of that. Um, 08, 09, um, getting funding, uh, you know, exiting the business, um, shifting all the different paradigms that we've been, whether it's print, digital, text, video, uh, ad network, owned and operated, um, an IP factory versus a, media, a digital media company, um, all those things. I wanted to remind everybody that no matter what we were faced, whether it was fiscal, personal, sector-wide, individual to complex, we, not, we won through strategy and superior execution. And when you remind people that you've done it and we've done it as a team and we've done it um, as a brand, there is no reason to not believe that we will be able to do it all over again and be more successful than other people because that's yeah. our track record. And 
that's keeping your head about you and reminding people that that's where that confidence comes from. It's not chest beating, rah, rah bullshit. It's facts and realities. And I think that's the difference between confidence for the sake of confidence, but confidence that is foundational and real. Yeah. We call it show, don't tell. And that's right. You know, and because if you've done it, it, you can just point to, hey, look, this is unique in many ways. But at the same time, like, look at where we've come from. Look at all of the things that we had to overcome along the way. This is another one. And we're going to overcome it. Right? That's right. And it's simple. Um, hard, but simple. <laughs> so let's talk about the hard, hard stuff. Um, what do you see ahead as the the sort of top three of the hard things that that all media companies are going to face? Uh, publishers specifically? Yeah. Okay. Um, number one, um, I, I, I sent out a tweet the other day um, that I was trying to get down to a simple formula. I don't know if you saw it. Um, not the salami one? Not the salami one. Okay. That was this morning. I had a very nice breakfast this morning. Um, but it was... Uh, basically I was trying to break it down. Like for a publisher, what is the math of who's going to win and who's potentially going to lose and why? And it's, to me, it's brand plus brains plus balance sheet equals a real business. Right. And my point is that's true. Always it's heightened during this time frame. Mm-hmm. Let me go to that as, as an answer is, The first thing is probably the third thing on that list right now. The biggest differentiation between uh, people, there's going to be pain, right? We just don't know for how long. The first dollars that get cut are advertising dollars. The last dollars that come back are advertising dollars. Where are you? Where are publishers in their their diversification? Are they still over 90% advertising? That's going to hurt even more. How big of a balance sheet do they have? to continue to maintain continuity in their staff as much as possible. Um, how many dollars will get cut from advertising? So it's not just the length of time, but how deep will the original cut be, which will then define how long the uh, recovery will take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did people diversify into events as a large scale play? If they did, oof, that's going to be very tough because events, we can all speculate about um, what's going to happen there, but nobody knows yet, right? So um, my point there is if you haven't, uh, as a squirrel, gathered your nuts, um, I think it's potentially you just got to be able to pay people and you got to be able to keep the lights on. And I think there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. that might not be able to. I'm not that familiar with everybody's balance sheet. That tends to be the thing people talk about least. Yeah. But that is, um, to me, one of the scariest things out there. Well, that's 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 getting to the other side, right? I mean, before you can talk about innovate, like you got to survive in order to be able to 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 come out of this stronger. I mean, that's the first thing, right? Um, but when you're scenario planning out, I think this is a really you, you talked about. It, it's a really difficult situation because there's always there's always a lack of visibility with, with with downturns and crises, but it's 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 a lack of visibility times ten. Um, and, and so how can you even scenario plan when there's so little, um, visibility about whether this is a three month thing, a, a six month thing, a year thing? 
Well, you're, you're hitting something very interesting, right? If you're good at this, it doesn't have to be definitive in black and white, right? How can you create things that are fluid? Um, and when I say that is, you know, do you have time stops? It's like, we're going to do this much reduction over this time frame, And if it's getting better, we're, we'll turn it up. If it's getting worse, we'll turn it down. Wait, turn it up, not, not turn up the reductions. Right. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yes. Sorry. Uh, the med is getting to me, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? able to be in a situation where um, are you creating fluid outlets uh, because of the uncertainty um, and the, the uncontrollable uncertainty, right? These are external. All we can do is increase our likelihood to be able to react to the uh, uncertainty when it gets defined. So if that is the case, how do you create a plan that isn't hard and fast and rigorous from a black and white perspective, but very fluid and has a, a nice organic volatility. Yeah. yeah. But, but explain how you balance that with people's wanting certitude, right? Because if you got to make a painful, um, decision, whether it's, it's pay cuts or, 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 or staff, you know, furloughs, whatever it is, everyone, the first question I think is, is this the first one? Because everyone's been through the drip, 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 and there's a school of thought cut once, cut deep, and then, like, people can really lock in. Um, look, more power to anybody who feels like they have a definitive answer on what that is. Um, when you're guessing like that, you're guessing with people's livelihoods, number one. You have to remember that. Mm -hmm. I, I, it, it, this isn't just about the employees. It's everything right now because it's all of those things uh, are intertwined, right? Your cost structures, your fixed cost structures are your fixed cost structures. So... You know, I, my response there would be to go back to what I was saying before is instead of insulting your team um, from a communications perspective and saying to them, like, you know what, here's the directive. Here's just what we're going to do. It's like, we might not be right. Here's our best guess. Participate with us. Like, mm -hmm. let's have our individual team directors go to the teams. I mean, I know we've had people go like, all right, if you were to have, if you were to operate with 20% less budget, what would it look like? And yeah. like, you know, you have to, you have to involve people is my point. And, but that's really hard when you want to move fast, right? I, yeah. But you know what, is it better to move 40% slower with a hundred, a hundred percent of the people behind you, or is it better to move faster with no support? Right. Like to me, I'm, I'll take the former over the latter every day and twice on Sunday. Okay. That sounds like a good approach, Rich. We're guessing, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that honesty is, is important, particularly in this time um, when there is so much uncertainty. The final thing I want to talk about is sort of innovations within a downturn. You know, like, I mean, I think a lot of times the focus is on just getting to the other side. And that is without getting to the other side, you can't innovate. Like, I mean, you gotta, you gotta survive. Um, but at the same time, you know, this does create opportunities, whether it's for new companies, this history has proven this, whether it's for new companies or, you know, new aspects to your business. Explain how you think about that. Um, I was about to cut you off and say, I think the okay. opportunity <laughs> is even more for companies that are existing in the marketplace. Um, when things are this tight and uncertain at the same time, new stuff is going to be a little bit more complicated. 
I'm not saying that there won't be new companies and new ideas that come out of this. However, if you know the way advertisers and brands always react, they're going to go to the people that they know and have confidence and relationships with. So that means, okay, what about thinking about it this way? And I know we're doing this already, so I'm not, I'm a little bit giving some stuff away, but at the same time, it's more of a testament to my team is that if our depth of connection is our biggest differentiation, how are the, how is the consumer going to change, not just now, but in the future off of this? And if that changes, how is our conversation change? And if we have ideas around how that conversation is going to change both shorter and even more on a longer term basis, because people might commute less, people might spend more time having different types of consuming different types of conversation in different depths. And I'm I'm not, I'm intentionally not being specific there because that's unfair to my team to give away some of the nuggets they've come up with because it's really impressive. Um, but they're already thinking about what is the new world order and how, what are the opportunities for us to have conversations with existing advertisers? My viewpoint there is if you think innovation, and I'm not saying you, you in the general sense, yeah. if people think that innovation can only come from new companies because it's easier because it's a blank slate, you've already lost. Wrap up and go home. I think this is also where you're going to separate the people who have clothes on and who don't, right? When the tide rolls out, Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, are you already thinking about, do you own the conversation with your consumer? Do you understand where it could go? Do you have solutions for what, how to optimize that? And then are you ready to include and bake in because of experience, uh, organically advertisers, brands, or other monetization opportunities within that because we have a superior thought process? I mean, I'll tell you, we're not there yet, but if you had to ask me what I think our business would look like in June of 2021, some of the stuff that's come out of our marketing, our uh, brand innovations team, our sales team, even our content team, there's some things that there that are not solves for the short term. They will be components that might even be drivers of our business by June sure. next year. Well, I think what's interesting too um, is... This is a massive test. It's not an A-B test. But like change actually happens fairly slowly, I think, for all we talk about disruption and stuff like this. All of a sudden, everything is turned upside down. Everybody's working from home. Everybody is, is remote. Everybody is trapped in, inside. Like there is the opportunity for extremely large behavioral changes to take place. Who knows which are temporary? But let me, let me jump in there, though. And, and this is where I will make it like the line of delineation. I agree with you on a theoretical basis. Um, but here's my point is a lot of people, if you have not been agents of change organically and you don't have that muscle memory in your company. And yes, I'm talking to a lot of those older traditional media companies, not all of them, but a mm-hmm. lot of them have fun trying to turn that Titanic ship of attitudes and behaviors, if you haven't invested, if you've invested in people and leaders who stick their head in the sand and want to ride it out into the sunset, have fun because right. your business is a wrap. Yeah. And ride it down. All you did is expedite your death. So my viewpoint is I think there's a lot of people out there now who 
the, the ones who are going to reap the largest benefits are the ones who've invested on an attitudinal and a behavioral basis of constantly being agents of change. Got it. Thanks so much for doing this, Rich. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, we will be back uh, next week with a new episode, but we'll also, we hope to do more of these. Um, let me know what you think. Um, I'm just Brian at digiday.com. Um, and thank you again for, for spending this time with us.